Isn't this stage amazing? They have done a great job. They've put a lot of work into this and have, have really done it up nice. In fact, I think, you know, Ben, it, you're trying to make the case, but I, it looks so nice. I don't know that I want to be rescued. I mean, especially if I get to preach in jeans and a T-shirt. I mean, I could just do this every week. It's really nice. <laughs> so you guys have done a great job. And, and you know, this, this is what children's ministry looks like. If we're going to be the kind of church that is truly trying to reach the children of, of this community, this is what it looks like. Not every Sunday, but at least one Sunday a year. And I, I know that you'll be praying with us as we, uh, as we have Vacation Bible School all this week. So I want you to please turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 34. And I want you just to kind of bookmark that. Maybe stick your bulletin in it or, or you know, something. Put an offering envelope or something like that in it. And, uh, and, and, and then I also want you to then turn over to Psalm chapter 46. That's going to be our main text today. But we're also going to look at Psalm 34 some. And as you do that, I want you to sit right back and hear a tale. A tale of a fateful trip. I couldn't help it. Only thing missing up here is a Wilson volleyball, right? That's the only thing we need up here, and we would be complete. Um, all right, so we're, we're been uh, spending we're going to be spending the summer in the Psalms. We started last week with Psalm one, a good place to start, and uh, and this week we're going to kind of tie it in with the theme that we are rescued by Jesus, that, that our lives sometimes do get shipwrecked, and and we can have hope. We can have hope in the midst of insecurity. We can have hope in the midst of instability. We can have hope when we're lonely, afraid, when we're struggling, when we sin and do things that are wrong. We can have hope because of who our God is. We have a God who rescues. And that's what we see here in Psalm 46. We see three reasons, three things about God that can give us hope in the midst of difficulties. And the first one we're going to look at here in Psalm 46 uh, is, is that God is a God who rescues. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters, waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Here the psalmist begins with a confession of faith. He starts with this this confession of faith, this hope that God is our refuge and strength. So this confession of faith here, this word refuge in the Hebrew, it means shelter. Maybe like kind of this right here, a shelter that keeps the rain off of us and the wind and the storms and the heat of the sun off of us. It's a shelter. But that word for refuge can also mean shield. So not only is it something to keep the, the elements off of us, but to keep the darts, the fiery darts of our enemy, the devil, off of us. God is our shelter. He is our shield. It, he is the one to whom we flee when the enemy comes, to escape danger. So that's sort of a defensive idea, the idea of retreat and, and, and defensiveness. But the next word, God is our refuge and strength. This word is a little bit more on the offensive than the defensive. It means the power and might by which you can exert great force or you can withstand great force. So if refuge is a shield, then we can picture strength as a sword. See, God is the shield who protects us from the attacks 
that come our way from our enemy, the devil. But he's also the sword who attacks the devil and ultimately defeats the devil. Now, this this idea is that our shield and our sword, our God is an ever present help in trouble. In other words, he is readily available. He is there waiting and ready to help us whenever trouble comes, whenever the enemy strikes. That Hebrew word for trouble, it comes from the word that would mean uh, if you're driving or walking down a road, I guess they didn't drive down roads back then, but if you're walking down a road and you come to a narrows, you come to a straight. You know, I always think about like the, the westerns and stuff where they're, they're kind of riding through this valley, right? And, and, and the enemy is kind of gathering up there to ambush them. And you kind of get to this narrow sort of canyon. That's the picture here. That's what that word trouble means. It's, you know, if you ever feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, if you ever feel like that, that, the, that you're stressed by the pressures of life, that the world is just kind of closing around you, you can't breathe. That's what this word means. When you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and there's no escape from the pressures and the trials and the stresses of life, it's in that moment that God is your refuge and strength. He is your shield. He is your sword. That's the confession of faith that that the psalmist begins with. Now, he, he doesn't stop there. He goes from this confession of faith right into this confirmation of the trouble that we all face. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. He confirms that, yes, we do face troubles in this life. And he, what he describes there almost sounds like an apocalyptic scenario, doesn't it? I mean, it's as if creation itself is coming undone. It's like he went back to Genesis 1 where you've got the waters and the land rises out of the waters. He's, he's like doing that in reverse. Now the land is kind of collapsing and falling back in to the watery chaos. You know, we, we talk about terra firma. But, you know, the terra isn't quite as firma as we sometimes think it is, is it? We live in a world that's very unstable. And if you've been watching the news, you see that. You look at what's happening in Hawaii with the, the Kilauea volcano there and, and what's happening in Guatemala. I mean, here you've got these people on this island in Hawaii that have built their communities on a rift zone of an active volcano. It's not erupted like this since the 80s. So, you know, like we tend to do, you get a little, you know, comfortable and, and, and you just think, oh, everything's going to be fine. And now entire houses and neighborhoods and even a lake and an entire bay have been swallowed up by lava. And then in Guatemala, you know, here these villagers have lived in the shadow of this enormous volcanic, this volcanic mountain. And all of a sudden, last week, the earth gave way underneath them with earthquakes, with literally the side of a mountain coming down and sweeping away entire communities. Our world is far from stable and predictable. It is a changing, dynamic, living planet that's set in the midst of an exploding, expanding universe. And, and here in this verse, mountains represent... The stability and the strength, the, the idea that there are constant things that you can count on like a mountain. I mean, I grew up in the Smoky Mountains. And, and you never look at those mountains and think anything but that they're always going to be there. They're, they're, a, they're a reference point. They're a landmark. They're a sign of strength and stability. But the seas, the waters right here, represent instability, change, chaos. 
So if the very ground under our feet can't be trusted, if you can't even trust that, then where can you place your trust? Where can you find your hope and your security? The psalmist says, the Lord our God is our strength and our refuge. He is our reference point. He is our landmark. He is the one who can be our sure foundation when the earth and the mountains give way and disappear into the chaos of life. We can stand secure on the Lord. And so that's why he can say, in the midst of all of this, we will not fear. So you see, our confession of faith, that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, it is tied directly to the reality of this dangerous world that we live in. Our faith is not some Pollyanna kind of faith. You know, it's not just some pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. We acknowledge, and the Bible acknowledges that the real pressures and stresses and trials of this life, our confidence in God, in fact, is inspired by the fact that we face so many difficulties. And so we confess both that the world is dangerous, but that our God is a God who rescues. Amen. Now here's where I want you to turn with me for just a second to Psalm 34. Beginning in verse 19. David says, a righteous man may have many troubles. So here you see David acknowledges the fact that even the righteous will face many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. See, if we take refuge in the Lord, if we choose to dwell in God, He will deliver us from all our troubles. He will redeem us. He will rescue us. Maybe this morning you're facing some kind of earth-shattering circumstance in your life today. I don't know what that would be, but maybe this morning you feel powerless. You feel as if the waters of chaos in your life just kind of threaten to sweep you out to sea. The psalmist says, do not fear. Take courage. Trust that God is in control. He is your refuge in whom you can safely dwell. But, but it gets even better than that. As wonderful as that is, not only is the God the God in whose refuge we can dwell, but He is also a life-giving river who dwells in us and who flows through us. Yes, God rescues, but God also renews. Look at verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. God is a God who rescues. He's a God who who renews because He is like a life-giving river. You know, just as in those previous verses, the psalmist kind of drew our mind back to creation. You know, he was sort of describing sort of creation in reverse and how, how worry and fear can make it feel as if the world is coming apart. But here, he draws our minds back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in a different way. He draws on the image of the river that ran through Eden. You remember there was a river that ran through, through Eden. It had these streams. In Genesis 2.10 it says, a, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. And from there it was separated into four 
headwaters. It is this life-giving river whose headwaters make glad the city of God. He's contrasting this with the chaotic waters in verses 2 and 3. So in verses 2 and 3, you've got these turbulent waters that roar and foam. But then in verse 4, the streams of God are continual and they bring gladness. This river also draws to our mind a powerful prophetic image that we find in Joel. We find it in Ezekiel and Zechariah and even in John as he writes in Revelation. It's this idea that there will be a river that will flow from the temple in the new Jerusalem out into the world. In fact, in Zechariah 13.1 it says, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. So it's a, it's a spiritual river. It's cleansing the people of their sin. And then in chapter 14, verse 8, Zechariah says, On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea, and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and in winter. And then Ezekiel in chapter 47 picks up on that image and further describes this, this river that flows from the temple in Jerusalem all the way down to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it doesn't have any life in it whatsoever. It's dead. It is so salty, nothing can live there. But Ezekiel pictures this, this trickle from the temple that grows into a stream, that grows into a river until it reaches the Dead Sea and brings it back to life. And it's swarming with fish and there's animals all around and there's lush vegetation and there's trees that bear fruit. And then John picks up this same image in Revelation 22. He says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. Just imagine that. That our God is a life-giving river. He's a, he's, he's a fountain of living water who forgives and purifies us of our sin, who heals the nations, who provides life and abundance to everyone who needs it. The idea is that though, yes, we live in a sin-sick, broken, cursed world where we're going to face troubles, where we're going to be hard-pressed from every side, but in the midst of that, our God is the God who's at work making all things new. Jesus said in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. And the theme of the Bible is that out of the chaos, God creates order. That from darkness, He calls forth light. That from nothing, God made everything. And out of death, He brings new resurrection life. And this life-giving river runs through and makes glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. This, of course, is a reference to Jerusalem, but I think ultimately to the new Jerusalem that will come when Christ returns. He is a life-giving river, renewing all things. But also the psalmist says that He is not just a river that runs through us to the world, but He is also an indwelling helper within us. In verses 5 and 6, the psalmist basically points out that what's important about this, this city of God, this holy city of Jerusalem, what's important isn't its walls. It's not its fortifications. That's not what's going to protect her. But rather the presence of God dwelling within her. Now Psalm 27 tells us that some trust in chariots and some in horses, 
But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We have a tendency to, to, to want to trust our wit, our wisdom, our strength. You know, we, we sometimes buy into this idea that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And, and maybe you've even bought into the, to the myth that God only helps those who help themselves. Or, or that when all else fails, then you pray, right? But the psalmist says, that's foolish pride and blind arrogance. Because Jerusalem will not fall to attack, not because of her strength, not because of the people that live within her, or the soldiers defending her, but because God is within her. Look with me again at Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10, and we'll see this echoed again here. Fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions, now you think about the lion, he's the king of the jungle, right? Well, we got to go to the zoo uh, yesterday, me and Julian Abbey, and there was a, one of the lionesses had just been, been kind of let out. This was yesterday morning, and she, did, she wasn't happy. She wanted to go back inside. So she was kind of walking back and forth there near the entrance back into her, her, uh, you know, her holding area, and she was roaring. And it was just kind of being echoed by, by the side of that, that cliff right there. And it was powerful. I mean, it was loud. It was deep. This roar. We think of a lion as a symbol of strength. But he says, the lion may grow weak and hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So, what about you? You know, I mean, if you're like I have been at times, you're guilty of trying to fix your problems in your ways. You know, just... Not even going to the Word, not even listening to Christian counsel, not even praying, but just kind of jumping out there and being proactive and and doing what you think is the right thing to do. That's not the way God would have us to operate. Look back at verse 15 here in Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe this morning you're brokenhearted. For whatever reason, you feel lonely, like your spirits are crushed and your hopes are dashed. You can call upon the Lord. Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He dwells within you. He dwells within you, and for that reason, no matter what you face, you will not fall. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, yes, death is at work within us, but life is at work in you. See, when we dwell in God our refuge, when we trust Him to be our shield and our sword, and when God dwells within us as our true source of life and strength and help, then we will not be crushed. By life's pressures. We will not despair or feel abandoned or be destroyed when we are struck by the perplexities and the persecutions of Satan and sin. Why? 
Because Jesus suffered for us and He bled and died on the cross and rose again so that yes, while death is at work within us, even more so, His life is at work making everything new. And so in verse 6, here in Psalm 46, when the nations are in an uproar, and that's the same word that we saw in verse 3 that talked about the waters were in an uproar. When the nations, like those chaotic waters, are in an uproar, when the kingdoms of mankind are falling, and again, that word falling is the same word in verse 2 that described the mountains. So it's not just creation. It's not just the waters are roaring and the mountains are falling. It's not just volcanoes and earthquakes that make this world unstable. It's the nations and the kingdoms of man are also in an uproar and unstable as well. And in the midst of even that political upheaval, God lifts up His voice and silences them all. The One who spoke creation into existence has the power to undo all the wicked strivings of mankind. If we would just listen to Him, listen to His voice, all the noises of hatred and deceit and violence and confusion around us will be drowned out by His wonderful words of life. And why is that? Because the God who rescues and the God who renews He's the God who reigns. Look at verse 8. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now we're going to come back to verse 7 and verse 11 here at the end. But this last stanza, verses 8 through 10, include two invitations to these nations that, that in verse 6 he described. These nations that are in uproar, these kingdoms of man that are falling, all, all these, these organizations and institutions of man that are just in chaos. There are two invitations to them. The first is an invitation from the psalmist on behalf of the people of Israel. But the second invitation comes from God Himself. Let's look at those two. The first is that Israel invites us to come and see. Israel invites us to come and see. To come and see the works of the Lord. Now, this is how the psalmist often throughout Psalms will use that phrase, the works of the Lord. And what they're describing is the activity of God on behalf of and through the nation of Israel. So you think about, you know, God's delivering Israel in the, in the events of the Exodus through the plagues and crossing the Red Sea. You think about Him giving them the, the Torah, the law on, the, on Mount Sinai. He provided them manna. He protected them against countless enemies. He helped them to conquer the promised land. He delivered them time and again through the judges. And then He established the great kingdom of David. The works of the Lord. And Israel is inviting us to come and see what God has done. Now, David gives us a similar invitation back in Psalm 34. Turn with me again to Psalm 34. Look at verse 8. Here David himself says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And then verse 11. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of of the Lord. So here in Psalm 34, David is giving us his personal testimony, not just what has God done for the nation of Israel, but what God has done for him. 
The ways that God has heard His cries and delivered Him in times of need. And we see that described even more deeply in verses 4 through 7. David said, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man, he's talking about himself, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. So, so David's testimony is that God heard him. God answered him. God delivered him from his troubles. And, and, and you'll notice in all of Psalm 34, one of the themes is this idea of the fear of the Lord. Three times in Psalm 34, he talks about the fear of the Lord. And here in verse 11, we heard that David was offering to teach us the fear of the Lord. But in verse 4, what does he say God delivered him from? All my fears. So God delivered him from all my fears, but he keeps focusing on this idea of the fear of the Lord. What's a simple, it's a simple idea. Because when we fear the Lord, the less we fear anything else, right? The more you fear God, the less you have anything else to fear. It's sort of the idea of, you know, like you're being bullied in the playground by a bunch of these kids that are bigger than you. But then you don't know it, but your dad, who's really big and strong, comes walking up behind you and they kind of run away. They don't run away because of you, but because of your dad, right? And you fear your dad. You've got this healthy respect and awe for your dad because he can also tan your hide, right? You fear your dad, but you also trust him because he loves you. He's got your best interests at heart. So you don't fear the bullies anymore because you've got your dad with you. We too are challenged to consider the works of God in our own lives, in our faith community. How often do you stop and remind yourself of answered prayer? Of how God has provided for you in times of need. How He has healed you in your sickness. Strengthened you when you were weak. How He gave you wisdom to make a critical decision. Or maybe how God stepped in and saved you from making a terrible mistake. How often do you give God thanks for His goodness and grace, especially His saving grace in your life? And how often do you tell other people about those things? You know, I mean, David wasn't content just to keep these stories to himself, nor even just to praise God for them. David had a burning desire to share these great stories with everyone else. He wanted others to taste and see that the Lord is good. He wanted others to come and listen to Him so He could teach them the fear of the Lord. Do you have that kind of burden and compassion for those around you who are struggling to keep their heads above the water? Who are lost and helpless and stranded on the desert island of sin? Think about all the people who you pass by every day and their lives are just like shipwrecks. They are just adrift on the, on the sea of sin. And here you are like this rescue craft passing right by. Do you care enough to stop and to throw out the gospel life raft and to draw them into the refuge of the arms of Jesus Christ? Will you share with them your story so they can taste and see that the Lord is a good and gracious God who longs to rescue them, to be their shield and their sword, to redeem them and forgive them of their sins and to give them new life. Verse 9 tells us that God 
our ruler is the God who brings peace. Because it says He causes wars to cease. Isaiah 2.4 describes the day when our weapons of war will be beaten into farming implements. And this is the ultimate hope of the gospel, that Christ is going to come back again and He's going to, put, he's going to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men. For good. We're not just talking about peace on the Korean Peninsula. We're talking about peace worldwide. Peace in the Middle East. Peace everywhere when Christ returns. But the next verse gives us good news for right now. The same God who will bring peace to the nations can bring peace to your heart and mind. Because not only is there an invitation from Israel to come and see the works of the Lord, but God Himself invites us to be still and know Him. Listen again to verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That Hebrew word, be still, it's literally the word that means to, to go slack, to go limp, to relax and to let go. You know, it's the idea like you're playing tug of war with an opponent you can't beat, and so you just let go of the rope. It's the idea that you're, just, you're walking around so stressed and so anxious, but you just kind of let your body relax, you let your arms go limp. This verse is literally telling us, let go and let God. You know, that's sort of like a little bumper sticker saying, that's really what this verse is saying. Let go and know that I am God. Stop fighting the Lord's battles for Him. Stop being God and let God be God. Be still. It's a call to surrender. Not to surrender to our enemy. Not to surrender to our circumstances, but to surrender to the God who is sovereign, who reigns supreme, to the God who is in control of life's circumstances. He is big enough to handle whatever problem you face. And it is only in surrendering to God and placing ourselves in His care, just like a, a limp, helpless baby resting safely, relaxed in its mother's arms, that's the way we can really know God. Verse 10 isn't just some contemplative call to reflection. It's a redemptive call to surrender and know God personally and intimately. It's a call to personally taste and see that He is a good and gracious God. He is a loving Father who will always rescue us from trouble and who will renew our lives with His strength. But to know God like this, to know God as a God who rescues and renews, you have to surrender to the God who rules and reigns. He has to be the Lord and King of your life. And so that brings us to the chorus. We've seen that twice in this psalm, verses 7 and 11. If you have your Bibles with you, just kind of read that, read that with us. Your translation might be a little bit different. That's fine. Let's just read verse 11 aloud together, okay? You know, when you're singing a song, sometimes you don't know the verse... But when the chorus comes, you know the chorus, right? And so you kind of listen on the radio and that chorus comes, you sing it out. So let's read that chorus together. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This chorus perfectly summarizes the message of this psalm. Because the Lord is Almighty, we are invited to be still and know that He is God. Because the Lord is with us, we can find strength and gladness in His indwelling presence. 
Because the Lord is the God of Jacob. We can come and see His mighty works because He is the God who is active and at work in history, even in our personal history. And because the Lord is our fortress, we can run to Him for safety. He is our sword and our shield in times of trouble. Do you know this God? Do you know this Father who loves you so deeply that He's going to stand behind you and help you face down whatever bullies life sends your way? Do you know the love of this God, the forgiveness and the grace that renews our life day by day? The Bible says His mercies are new every morning. You can't out God's mercy. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Maybe this morning you need to come and throw yourself at the feet of the God who rescues the God who renews. Maybe this morning you come and surrender your life to the God who reigns. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue and redeem you from whatever waters of sin you're drowning in today, from whatever feeling of hopelessness and despair you might be facing. He wants to lift you up and put your feet on the solid rock. But you've got to come and trust Him this morning. Maybe God would have you come and unite with this church family and say, this is, this is where I want to take my stand on the solid rock. This is where I want to help to throw out that life raft of the gospel to others around us and to rescue them. Then you come as God leads this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for being the God who rescues, the God who renews when we're feeling weak and run down and worn out, the God who reigns. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to be in charge because You're in charge. God, help us to let go, to be still, and to know that You are God, our sword and our shield, who is always there for us when we need Him. Lord, I pray this morning that anybody who doesn't know You would come and taste and see that you are good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Come as the Lord leads.